Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. Good morning or afternoon, whatever time it is when you're listening to this. Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. I am your host, John Hutspeth, and uh, I know the podcast has not been interrupted for you guys. I've still had one coming out every week, but because of my trip, I have not sat down in this chair to record a podcast in like over two weeks now, I think. So, excuse me if I'm a little rusty. I'm kind of getting back into it, still trying to get my wits about me from my trip. Uh, for those of you who uh, keep up with me on social media, you guys probably kind of already know uh, part of the crazy story that I'm about to get into. I got my truck stolen. It was actually my dad's truck that I had uh, switched. You know, his got better gas mileage, and so I switched vehicles with him, and it got stolen uh, outside of Denver before my hunt started. So we're going to cover that in this podcast. We're also going to talk about the hunt itself, which was not much better than having my truck stolen. Uh, and then uh, just like between the time that I was planning to do this and the time that I'm actually doing it, I just got a call from the police department and the truck has actually been found. So I'm not going to get into that just yet. All that's coming. Uh, but yeah, that's what this episode's going to be about. Just all the craziness that was the last, I don't know, week and a half or so for me. So that's what we have planned for this episode. Um, man, I'm trying to think. It's been so long since I've done one of this. I don't know what I've told you guys, what I haven't. Um, I obviously have not done any deer hunting lately because I've been in Colorado. Uh, I am going kind of deer hunting this weekend. I'm actually going to mentor some people. Uh, let's see if I can get this right. It is my wife's sister-in-law's father and her uh, or not her his uh, family so uh, it'd be like my brother-in-law's father-in-law um, he bought some property uh, kind of along the river uh, in Oklahoma and so I'm going to meet them out there and it's going to be him his son his son-in-law or I guess and two of his son-in-laws including my brother-in-law so uh, yeah very weird dynamic but uh, they just they reached out to me he bought this property it has deer on it he, um, none of them have ever hunted, but they're all kind of interested in it. And uh, so anyway, I went out there one time with him uh, late summer, early fall, uh, just kind of walked around a little bit. Um, he bought a blind, he bought a feeder and stuff. And uh, so yeah, my, my hope is to let one of them or any of them uh, shoot a deer and then I'm going to teach them how to, you know, field dress it, probably quarter it, uh, you know, skin it the whole nine yards. Um, I'm still not sure. He, he bought a crossbow and it's still rifle season. Um, I think he bought a rifle also, but he's not super comfortable. I think, you know, he's done at some shooting, but not a ton. And so they may actually want me to kill it. Um, and then, you know, kind of teach them, uh, but I'm not sure yet. So I'm going to kind of figure that once we get out there. So, so yeah, kind of looking forward to that again, I'll, I'll kind of be hunting. I'll be 
with people hunting at least um, and getting to show them the ropes. So very, very excited about that. Um, as far as me and my hunting from this point forward, I really have no idea. Um, I have a ton of tags left. I still have one buck tag in Oklahoma. Um, I still have all four of my doe tags. I was kind of waiting to, to harvest any does, kind of waiting to see how this elk hunt turned out because, uh, you know, I knew if I got an elk, I was going to have more meat than I knew what to do with. Uh, spoiler alert, no elk. And so I, I, I'm not going to lie. I am ready to take my elk frustration out on their cousin, Mr. Whitetail. And, and I'm, I'm ready to get a little crazy. I am ready to, to kill some deer. So, um, you know, management wise, I need to kill some does anyway. Now meat wise, I could use some meat. Um, so yeah, so I have, like I said, one buck tag, my four doe tags, and I also still have all my Texas tags. Um, and so, where I hunt from this point out is going to kind of depend on just what is being seen on cameras. Uh, you know, if my buddy has some decent deer show up, I'll probably go out there. Um, I still have uh, one buck that's being, well, really two bucks that are being fairly consistent that I would happily put my tag on. Both of them are nice big eight points. And then I have uh, another smaller eight point that's mature. He's a five-year-old. Just not really what I'm looking for in the antler department. And so if he gave me an opportunity, I'd probably still kill him. So at least three bucks out there. Um, I still have the 2% buck, as I call him. Uh, you know, the big nine point. He's been a 10 in the past. I've talked about him over and over again. I give myself a 2% chance to kill him every year. I'm fairly positive I got a picture of him two nights ago. Um, it was on one of my Cuddy Link, or not uh, what is it? cell link, uh, cameras, not cutty link. And, uh, the quality on those is just not super great, but I'm, I'm fairly certain it was him. So I think he's still alive. Um, so who knows he might, a lot of times when he gets most consistent, it's late season. And, uh, I've talked about it a lot, how I love late season. So, so yeah, still plenty of deer tags. Um, man, I'm getting into the duck hunting mood. Um, you know, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time at sporting goods stores recently, uh, you know, trying to replace all the gear that was stolen. And I keep walking by that waterfowl department and, uh, man, you know, I bought some new decoys last year. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to kill some ducks. And so excited about that. Uh, man, I've, I've even thought about taking the boat out, believe it or not, the dadgum boat, even though it's cold and, uh, maybe heading to Texoma to do some striper fishing, I'm just ready. I don't know. I'm feeling kind of reinvigorated, um, which is not at all how I felt the last several days. I've been so, so down in the dumps after the whole truck incident. And again, we're going to get into that in just a second. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the the update I got for you. Um, again, we're going to be talking about my, my most recent elk hunt here on this episode. And we're going to get into that after a word from our sponsors. So I think that's going to do it for this uh, intro. We're going to hear from our partners. And then I'll tell you all the long, sad, depressing story. And we'll get into that right after this. Arrowhead Land Company continues to change the game in Oklahoma real estate. They have added new agents and more listings across the state to further help you reach your goals of buying or selling land. Their hardworking, goal-oriented mindset puts you and your needs first. No matter if you're looking for a prized hunting ranch, a family farm, or just a little piece to build your dream home on, Arrowhead Land Company can help. That's Arrowhead Land Company. Check them out today. I know you guys have heard me talk about Deer Lab before, and it's because I truly believe it can help folks track down that buck on your property that you just can't seem to catch up with. 
DeerLab helps you organize your photos and pull out real data such as weather, wind, moon, and time that can help you narrow in exactly when you need to be in your stand. Check out DeerLab.com for more information and get that buck. And don't forget to use code OKLAHOMAOUTDOORS for 20% off. I love getting my boat out on the lake, but now that I have a little girl, I'm always looking for simple, easy ways to get outdoors. If that sounds like you, head over to Private Water Fishing and sign up for your membership today. Not only does it give you easy, hassle-free, private places to fish, but many of these lakes even include a boat of some kind for you to use so you don't have to mess with getting yours out of storage. Add to the fact that these large private lakes are professionally managed for trophy bass and you really have nothing to lose. That's privatewaterfishing.com. All right, folks, it's time for the story. And uh, if I'm being honest, I'm actually kind of dreading this. I'm kind of dreading reliving all this and bringing it all back up. There's a very good chance I could get emotional, very good chance I could get angry. Um, but I want to share with you guys what happened. Maybe y'all can learn from my mistakes. And, um, and yeah, we're going to get through this together. I love, you know, taking you guys along with my experiences and everything. I love the feedback that I get. And so I'm going to be completely open and honest and, uh, you guys can share in my, my sadness with me. So, uh, I've talked about this hunt a lot in the last year and a half. Uh, we booked this trip, my buddy, Nate Jasper and I, we booked this trip last August. So August of 2021. So I've been looking forward to this trip for a year and a half and uh, I've done quite a bit of elk hunting but I've never gotten one um, you know I lived in Idaho for several years did some hunting while I was up there before I moved back uh, here I bought a lifetime license so I've gone up there I think three times since I graduated to hunt I've had tons of close calls with elk um, I my closest call, I had a spike at like 33 yards. My brother talked me into not shooting it because we were like way the heck up on this mountain. Um, I've called bulls uh, with, you know, I had my bow. I've called bugling bulls into like 60 yards, you know, just kind of just too far away. Um, I had a bull that was like right on the edge of private and public one time when I had my rifle the first year I ever hunted. Uh, but it was like before Onyx and everything. And I just, I just couldn't be sure he was on public. So I, I let him go. Um, so yeah, like I said, over the years, I've had quite a few opportunities. I've just never quite, you know, it's never quite come together. And so that's part of the reason, uh, Nate and I booked this trip. Um, it was like a semi-guided thing. So we stayed at a lodge. Um, the guy that owned the lodge, he wasn't an actual guide or anything, but he had, you know, a big map in the living room and he would point out spots where they've had success in the past. And so again, he didn't actually go out and like guide us, but he gave us advice and stuff like that. And so, um, so yeah, we had very high hopes for this trip. Um, Colorado, you know, I think it has the highest elk population of any state. Um, we were going to be staying at this lodge right on the border of national forest. I want to say this national forest is like 80,000 acres or something. It's probably, I think it might even be bigger than that. Um, so yeah, just, I'd been looking forward to this forever. Um, we were doing a rifle hunt, uh, you know, the last several times I've been elk hunting, I've always done archery. Um, but we thought, you know, the rifle would give us that extra little edge. And so all that to say is I had like super high hopes coming into this hunt. Um, been looking to it forever. Um, I already had, you know, a ton of hunting gear just that I've collected over the years. Um, I did spend some money, like I bought a new pair of binoculars. Um, I bought like, um, uh, uh, some first light puffy pants that you could like put in your pack. And when you sat to glass, you could pull them out. 
Um, so I had spent, you know, some money, but a lot of this gear I've just collected over the years. Like I had a, a really nice Stone Glacier pack. Um, I had a pack frame. I had like a smaller Eberla stock, however you say that, uh, like day pack. Um, you know, I had a spotting scope. Uh, bought my new binoculars. I took my camera, tripod. Just I, I, I brought a whole bunch of stuff that, that I might need just in case, you know, like stuff that it wasn't going to hurt to take. Uh, might use it, might not. I figured if I didn't use it, you know, I'd just leave it in the truck. Um, I had, uh, you know, sleeping bag. Uh, I had my nice, like, really warm sleeping bag and a normal sleeping bag because I wasn't sure what the lodge situation was going to be. Um, took my four-wheeler because the guy said it'd be good to have, like, an ATV to, to go around on. And so, had all this stuff packed up, uh, excited for the trip. And, uh, again, so my buddy, uh, Nate Jasper, I always call him Jasper. He lives in Idaho. That's how we met when I was in school up there. You know, we were meeting halfway in Colorado. And so getting ready to, to head out. And it was about a, I think it was a 16 hour drive from, uh, my house to the lodge. So my plan was to leave, uh, early. And, uh, so I left on Monday. I was going to drive up, stay in Denver Monday night. Uh, wake up Tuesday, have plenty of time to get to the lodge, do a little scouting, and then our hunt started on Wednesday. <coughs> Excuse me. So anyway, trip started out okay. Um, honestly, it kind of got off to a rough start from the beginning. So I left on Monday. On Friday, before I left, my wife actually got in a car accident. Somebody pulled out in front of them, uh, in front of her. Uh, she hit him. Uh, the baby was in the car. Wife was in the car, obviously. Nobody was injured, but it's kind of, you know, it's a hassle anytime you get into something like that. So so I'm driving up on Monday, and I'm trying to help my wife deal with insurance stuff as I'm driving. So just wasn't, you know, super relaxing. We also had a few work things going on. Like I was getting calls from our contractors and stuff. So I'm trying to, like, put out these fires while I'm driving. And I'm supposed to be on vacation. So, so my drive up there wasn't the most peaceful. Uh, so anyway... I make it to Denver. Um, I stop at Walmart and buy a few uh, extra. Th- I bought snow chains, um, bought some snacks, water, that type of thing, and uh, get to a hotel. I purposely, I was you know heading west out of Denver, so I pur- purposely picked a hotel on the west side of Denver uh, in a little community called Lakewood, and uh, and yeah, so I, I pick a hotel. I stay at a La Quinta, you know, fairly big name, uh, decent hotel, uh, not the Hilton by any means, but also not you know some crappy little motel. Uh, I pull into the hotel. It was like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, something like that. Again, I have the four-wheeler in the back. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm fairly conscious that I have a lot of money's worth of stuff in my truck. And I'm leaving it overnight. So that's part of the reason I, you know, stayed at a decent hotel. And I purposely parked on the side of the hotel that faces the highway. Uh, thinking, you know, more visible, um, light, lots of people, traffic, stuff like that. So, anyway... Go into my hotel, um, spend the night. I purposely sleep in. You know, I'm trying to get a good night's rest before I get up to the lodge. Um, all I had taken in with me was my like regular suitcase. So I had you know like my socks and underwear and kind of like the clothes I would wear around the lodge and stuff like that. My medication and everything. So uh, we'd gotten all the insurance stuff figured out. I'd gotten all my work stuff figured out. So I was feeling pretty good. I was like, all right, I'm ready to head into this vacation. You know, kind of worry free. So sleep in on Tuesday. And uh, get my stuff together, walk out of the hotel, and I don't see my truck. And uh, I had taken my dad's truck for better, you know, gas mileage and stuff, so I didn't have to take my work truck. So I'm in my dad's F-150, walk around the corner, and and I just don't see it. And 
like the first thing that in my mind was somebody stole it. But I'm also just in complete disbelief. Like, no, like that didn't actually happen. Like that doesn't actually happen to people. And so I turned around to walk back inside to talk to the people, you know, at the front desk. And uh, I realized like, oh, I need the license plate number. And I actually turned around to walk back out to the truck to get the license plate number. And again, realized like the truck's not there. And so uh, I try to call my dad. Uh, and my mom answers his phone. He had left his phone at home. And so I was like, hey, I think the truck's been stolen. Like, I need to get a hold of dad. And so my brother-in-law works for my dad. So I call his phone. He gets my dad. And I'm like, hey, I think somebody stole your truck. And I need the license plate number and everything. And so he's, uh, it's like a company vehicle for his company. So he gets with his mechanic and stuff. And they get the license plate number. So I get that. And I walk in. And uh, I call 911, and they answer the phone. You know, what's your emergency? I was like, hey, my truck's been stolen. And he's like, well, that's not an emergency. You have to call the non-emergency number. All right. So <clears throat> hang up with him, call the non-emergency number. And uh, I'm talking to them. They're like, okay, you know, where are you? Address, all this stuff, make and model. And, and then he's like, are you the registered owner of the vehicle? And I say, no, it's my dad's truck. And they're like, oh, well, actually, the registered owner has to call. So hang up again, call my dad back. I was like, hey, they said you have to call since it's your truck. So he gets somebody else's phone. So he has the, you know, non-emergency line on one phone. He has me on the other phone. So they ask him a question. He asks me. I tell him. He tells them. We do that through the whole process. You know, where the truck's at, um, what was in it, um, you know, where it was, last time I was seen, do I have the key, all that stuff. You know, go through the whole barrage of questions. And then at the end, they get his contact information, and they get my contact information. So I'm sitting there, I'm trying to figure out what to do, and then I get a call from a Denver number. I answer it, and it's the police department. They're like, hey, Mr. Hutsmith, we understand uh, a vehicle was stolen that you were driving. I said, yes. And they're like, well, since you were the one driving the vehicle, we figured we would talk to you and get your side of the story. I'm like, of course. So basically go through the entire list of questions all over again. This is like for the third time, basically. And get to the end, and uh, I'm like, hey, like, basically, you know, what do I do? And they were essentially like, you know, there's nothing you can do. Um, and they were honest with me. They said, you know, there is a good chance we're going to find the vehicle, but most likely, you know, your stuff is going to be gone. And I would kind of already come to that realization. So hang up the phone. I'm sitting there in this hotel lobby with my suitcase next to me. It's like, I don't know, 10, 10, 30 by this point. And, <coughs> excuse me, talking too much. Um, and I just have no idea what to do. And I, I had texted my wife like, Hey, I think the truck got stolen, but I hadn't actually talked to her yet. Cause I'm trying to get, you know, the police going so that they can hopefully find it. And, uh, and I also texted my buddy Jasper. I was like, Hey, not sure if I'm going to make it or not yet. Truck got stolen, blah, blah. And so, I call my wife, and uh, and I had held it together pretty good at this moment. You know, the whole time, I'm just sitting there running down this checklist, like, my rifle is gone, my four-wheeler is gone, my sleeping bag is gone, my pack is gone, my other pack is gone, my binoculars are gone, my spotting scope is gone, my rangefinder is gone, my knives are gone. I mean, just running down the list. And so... Called my wife, and like I said, I'd kept it together pretty good till this moment, but as soon as she answered the phone, I, I just lost it. And so I'm I'm standing in the corner of the hotel lobby, bawling my eyes out, telling my wife, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm stranded. Uh, all my stuff is gone. 
I'm supposed to be at this hunt. I don't even know if I want to go anymore. I don't have any uh, gear to go. Um, and she, <laughs> sorry, whew, losing it a little bit. She was awesome. And she said, John, you need to go on this hunt. Uh, and again, this me being on this hunt involves her being alone with our five-month-old daughter by herself for eight days. And she says, John, you need to go on this hunt. And so I call Jasper. And again, I'd kind of give him a heads up. I'm like, hey, man, I'm I'm stuck in Denver. I don't know what's going on. I, I think I want to still go on this hunt. I'm not sure yet. Um, and he right away is like, man, I'll come get you. And, and again, he's coming from Idaho. I'm coming from the south. He's coming from the north. So he was going to have to drive past the desti- de- destination about four hours. And then we were going to have to drive back. And so he's like, man, it, like if you want to, just let me know and I'm going to come get you. I was like, let me call my wife back. So call Mackenzie back. I'm like, hey, Jasper said he would come get me, um, but I don't have any gear. I was like, if I go on this hunt, I'm going to have to Uber to Cabela's and spend God knows how much money to buy more gear. Uh, and then also I was like, man, if I get an elk, like I don't know how I'm going to get it home. Uh, you know, the only thing I can think of is Jasper would have to take it and then ship it all back to me. Whew. So I don't know. Anytime I talk about my wife, I get emotional. Um, and uh, she said, go on this hunt. Uh, so that was the de- determining factor. I was like, all right, I'm going to go. And uh, I, I text a few of my buddies, uh, just like kind of like, hey, my truck got stolen. You know, pray for me. I don't know what to do and all that stuff. And uh, so um, my plan, one, I was hungry. By this time, it's like 11 or something like that. And I hadn't eaten all day. So I, there was a restaurant within walking distance. My plan was to walk to that restaurant and then Uber to Cabela's and then have Jasper come get me. So that was the plan. So I start walking to this restaurant and I'm just, you know, trying to process everything, trying to figure out whether I really want to go or not. Um, and I get a call from my buddy, Randy and Randy's the guy I hunt with in West Texas. Um, you know, good buddy of mine. We've known each other since high school and, uh, actually no, he didn't call me. He texted me. And he said, go to this rental place. I paid for a rental car. Still go on this hunt. So I'm like, I'm like breaking down on, on the sidewalk um, because just the support that I'm getting from everybody is just overwhelming. And so uh, so I, I text him back. I say, man, you're going to make me cry. Like, thank you so much. This means so much to me. So I, I keep walking towards the restaurant. And uh, you know, I just want to eat real quick. And then I'm going to go get the rental car. So eat. Getting an Uber, and I'm Ubering to the rental car place. My phone buzzes again, and it's another text from Randy. And uh, uh, I, you know, look at the text, and he says, "Go to the Cabells at this address." He said, "I bought you a pair of boots and a pack, um, and I bought some binoculars for myself that you can use on this trip." Uh, you know, he said it's all paid for. Here's the the confirmation number. Pick it up. So again, I'm like, dude, you're gonna make me cry. Um, you know, he. Uh, he, he told me to keep the boots in the pack, you know, he was going to take the binoculars back, but I could use them. So again, huge answered prayer. So eat my food, go get the rental car, um, and then head to Cabela's. So by the time all that's done, I get to Cabela's about like one, I think something like that. And again, I still have a four hour drive to the lodge, so I'm trying to hurry, but obviously I need to be prepared. So get to Cabela's and, uh, and I'm like running through, and of course it's like end of the year up there, and so like every jacket I pick up is either like a small or a double extra large, and so that's not going to work. And uh, you know I'm looking at pants, and 
Uh, I just, I'm just not finding what I need. I'm definitely not finding what I want. You know, all the gear that I had, it was, it's, it's super nice stuff that I've collected over the years. Like, you know, I have a lot of Sitka, I have a lot of First Light, a lot of Columbia, you know, you name it. But it's not like I just went out at one time and bought all this stuff. You know, I've bought like one piece at a time over the last decade. Um, and so I'm just like, I have this shopping cart that's over full. Um, I'm waiting and they have one changing room for the entire store. So I keep trying to go to like try on pants and there's people in line and I end up spending like two hours in Cabela's. Um, and as I'm walking around Cabela's, I'm, I'm just getting more and more sad slash frustrated because uh, like I just kept realizing how much I lost. And the way I keep describing this to people, just imagine where you store your hunting gear, whether that's in your, the garage, your closet, your man cave, wherever. Just imagine like your pile of gear, wherever you store it. And now just imagine that entire pile is gone. Um, you know, as I'm walking around the store, like headlamp, gone, uh, rangefinder, gone, game bags, gone, knives, gone. Um, I mean, survival gear, gone, like, like you name it, you know, before it was kind of all like the big stuff, you know, my pack, my clothes, my rifle, but walking around that store just made me think of all the little small things that were gone. And, uh, so anyway, I spend like, I don't know, two, two and a half hours in Cabela's. Um, I end up buying some gear that would work, but not gear that I wanted. Um, I couldn't find a, a hunting coat that I liked in my size. I ended up buying like a ski coat, kind of a brownish tan ski coat, which ended up working really well. You know, it was waterproof and everything. We had a lot of snow. <coughs> um, so yeah, so I spent, you know, two, two and a half hours or something in Cabela's, and, uh, but I could not find, um, an orange beanie or they had a couple orange hats, but I really needed an orange beanie cause I knew it was going to be cold. And so I leave Cabela's. Uh, I see a boot barn, and so I stop in boot barn because I knew they're a Carhartt dealer. Uh, they have other Carhartt beanies, but not the orange one. So then I go to Cabela's, and this, or, no, I'm sorry, not Cabela's. Then I go to Walmart, and this Walmart had the worst outdoor section that I've ever seen. Um, almost nothing. They had no orange beanies, no orange hats or anything. And so I get some other, you know, I get some water and stuff like that take off towards the lodge and, uh, and I'm like stopping at like gas stations and stuff, trying to find an orange beanie. Um, I stop at a dollar general. I stop at a family dollar. I, I, I stopped at like three or four different places, never found an orange beanie. And so get out there, finally make it to the lodge and, you know, Jasper had made it and he had told the owner and the other people who were staying there what had happened. And again, I just got overwhelmed with just the hunting community because I walked in, I had never met any of these people. Uh, there were guys from Kentucky, from Michigan, from Wyoming, and they just immediately stopped bomb- start bombarding me with, what do you need? Um, this guy hands me uh, an orange beanie and he hands me a face mask. I, I didn't even know his name. Like he didn't introduce himself. He's like, man, what do you need? I heard you needed this. Um, handed that to me. The guy who owned the lodge, he's like, Hey, like I brought my rifle, but I don't have a tag. You take my rifle. Again, never met this guy before in my life, and he's trusting me with his gun. Um, and just over and over again, these people blew me away. Um, and it just really just it made me appreciate the hunting community uh, for what it was. Um, and uh, before I move on to the hunt itself, just a little bit more with the whole truck thing. Uh, you know, I've, I've thrown out a lot of stuff that um, is gone. Um you know, I'm in my head, kind of rough estimate. I'm, you know, I'm calculating with the four wheel and everything that I'm, I'm probably at about $15,000. Um, and somebody, uh, actually my old youth pastor, he had texted me, uh, he had heard about it through my wife and 
he asked me if there was anything like uh, uh, with um, sentimental value, like you know, any sentimental guns. And I was like, no, nothing sentimental, just very expensive. Um, but I did realize uh, the next day when we started hunting, we were walking around. And I was following Jasper, and he had a uh, a knife on his belt. And I did remember. Sorry, I know I'm going to get emotional here. Uh, my uh, my, whew, sorry guys, my brother that uh that passed away uh, about ten years ago. Uh, he was killed in a car accident. Um, when uh, my family was going through, uh, you know, his stuff. Uh, I got a, a buck knife of his, um, you know, not a super nice knife, but, uh, you know, a decent buck knife that, you know, he had worn a lot. And, uh, and I have carried that knife on every elk hunt that I've ever been on, uh, going all the way back to when I was in college. And, you know, it's not a super practical knife for hunting in the mountains. It's heavy. Um, you know, it's not, uh, not exactly what you would want to skin an elk with, but I have carried that knife on every elk hunt I've ever been on with the uh, intention to skin my first elk, at least part of it, with that knife. Um, and that knife was in uh, in my hunting pack that was stolen. And so that was a big bummer. That one hit me pretty hard. Um, you know, the other stuff, it's expensive, um, but it can all be replaced. But that's one thing that... Uh, that cannot be replaced. That's one thing that these people took from me. Um, so that was pretty rough, uh, obviously. Um, we'll get back to the truck here in a little bit um, because we do have a little bit of good news um, that I mentioned in the, in the intro here recently. But um, the hunt itself, uh, honestly, was not much better. Um, and, you know, I, I had all these, I had a bunch of people telling me, like, man, this hunt's going to be awesome. Like, you know, you deserve it now. Like, you're going to get an elk. Um, but I told myself when I was driving, I was like, just because all this crappy stuff happened to me does not mean that I'm guaranteed an elk. Like I've done enough elk hunting to know it is not easy. And so, um, I, so I got there, I got to the lodge at like 10, 10 30 at night, you know, pretty late. Everybody else was already asleep. Um, breakfast was at four forty-five, And so, uh, you know, I got maybe like four or five hours of sleep that night. I'm like sitting, I'm standing up there in the dark trying not, not to wait. It was just a big bunk room. And so I'm like cutting tags off using like the bathroom light, uh, you know, as everybody's asleep and I'm, I'm saving all the tags cause I don't know what I'm going to use, what I'm not going to use. Um, I hadn't even like, I hadn't looked at the boots that my buddy had bought me. I hadn't looked at the pack, you know, it all just came in a sack and I just, you know, ran with it. Um, and so I'm like standing there in the dark trying to get all this stuff organized and if y'all know me, uh, you know, like I, I love my gear. Like I, I, you know, again, I've accumulated over time. I have a lot of really nice gear. I'm usually super organized. Like I had my hunting pack completely ready to go before I put it in the truck to take it up there. Like all I had to do was put it on and go and all that's out the window. So I'm, you know, trying to find the game bags that I bought, uh, unwrapping the headlamp that I bought, uh, and I'm just kind of shoving stuff in pockets. And, uh, but, uh, so anyway, we wake up and I'm like, man, let's go hunting. And so... The first morning, this guy, uh, he you know, was showing stuff on the map, and he sent me and Jasper to this spot he called the Killing Fields. And part of the reason he sent us there is because it was one of the easier spots to get to. And, you know, the four-wheeler we the four had been stolen, so we just had Jasper's truck. And, uh, and again, we had to have chains just to get to the lodge. The lodge was at 9,000 feet, like way up there. Um, so the fo- first morning, we all take off. Um, two of us, two groups were in trucks, and then two other groups had ATVs. There were nine of us total, 
And uh, so we take off up off the mountain, and Jasper and I are in the back. And the first truck turns this corner where they were trying to get to and just sinks in the snow. And so they're, like, waving the ATVs around them, like, hey, y'all go ahead. Like, we'll figure this out. One of the ATVs goes to get around them and, you know, gets off the road, and it gets stuck. <laughs> so luckily it was, you know, small enough we were able to push it out. Uh, we ended up pushing the truck out. And, uh, and Jasper and I, we, we were at our Y. Well, we were supposed to be able to drive another like mile and a half, uh, before we started walking, but basically we were too afraid. Like we, we weren't going to make it. So, uh, we get out of the truck, we throw our packs on and we end up walking about three miles and, and we make it to the killing fields. It's basically this high mountain meadow looked awesome. I mean, we saw, you know, rubs, old rubs, new rubs. We saw a couple sets of tracks on the road on the way in, but, about the time we get there, it starts snowing. And so visibility gets cut down to like 75 yards. And so we're, we're walking around a little bit, you know, kind of trying to learn the area. And uh, the snow finally clears up. We end up doing a pretty good loop. And uh, and then a, we knew there was a, a snowstorm coming that evening. The guy at the lodge had warned us. And he kind of warned us, like, you might not want to stay out too long because you might not be able to get back, especially in the trucks. And so about 2 o'clock, it starts snowing. We're sitting there in the snow. We're toughing it out. Then about 2.30, it starts snowing pretty good. And so, like, man, like, you know, we're worried about getting back to the lodge. We're like, we probably need to go. And so we start walking out, and uh, <clears throat> we're, you know, walking through the path, and then we see two guys coming the other way. And it was two of the other guys, uh, you know, from the lodge. And they had snowshoes, and they had a pretty nice uh, Polaris Ranger that they had chains on and everything. So we talked to them, and we kind of tell them, you know, what we'd seen and, you know, where it goes and everything. And then we say goodbye. They keep going. And we turn the corner, and, like, there's their ATV. And they had made it all the way to, like, where the no parking or no uh, motorized vehicle sign was. And uh, it kind of took the wind out of our sails because we immediately realized, like, what a disadvantage we were going to be at by not having an ATV. Uh, We actually pulled out our Onyx maps and traced it. And from where they were able to drive to we still had to walk a mile and a half to get to our vehicle. So, like, basically, they got to cut off a mile and a half anytime they wanted to get back there. Um, so that was, you know, kind of hard. Anyway, we go back to the lodge. Uh, we don't get to hunt that evening because it's just snowing too hard. <coughs> um, everybody else comes in, and we end up getting about 8 to 10 inches of snow that night. And so the next morning, we all wake up, and, uh, and we're not really in a huge rush because it was still snowing in the morning. And we know everything's covered. We know it's going to be tough. And uh, so we're all kind of talking. And, and several of the guys had done at least some elk hunting. Uh, there was a couple guys on their first time. But we're all kind of powwowing. And we all kind of come to the same conclusion that this weather is going to push the elk down low. And so we don't really have a way to drive around up high anyway. We're like, all right, we got to go down low. So this kind of starts the, uh, I don't know, the second phase of the hunt going down low. And Basically, we got down there and found out that everybody else had the same idea as we did. So um, we started, we went way down. We went from 9,000 down to like 6,200 or something like that. And uh, we saw a whole lot of antelope and a few mule deer. And so we hiked around one piece of public, basically, you know, figured out we were probably too low. And so we went a little bit higher and uh, we got into a really cool spot. Um, We saw a ton of mule deer. We saw a couple big ones. But basically the way this area worked was, you know, way up high, you had public, and that's where our lodge was. Then you come down, and you have a band of private, 
And that private land is like right in the prime elevation of where these elk wanted to be. You know, it was kind of in that like 8,500 down to like 7,000 feet. And about this, you know, this time of year, that's about where elk want to be. And so we were just below that. And so like the, the second day of the hunt, the first day we went down low, we found this spot. It was a pretty big chunk of public land. Um, we got into it. We, you know, hiked way back in. We hiked two, two or three miles off the main road. Um, saw some really cool country, saw a couple big mule deer, but I think we were just basically too far from like the national forest to where the elk hadn't like come all the way out there. And we were, we were looking back kind of towards the main mountains and I'm not kidding you. You could have traced where the public and private, uh, met by all the orange vests you could see, you know, Colorado requires hunter orange. You got to have a, 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 like a 400 square inches on your body plus a head covering. And Jasper and I were, were, uh, glassing back towards the private. And I mean, it was just orange vest, orange vest, orange vest, orange vest. Uh, we saw one group of like six, um, across the line on the private towards the end of the day, uh, Jasper's looking through his spotting scope and he's, he's just like, man, look at this. And I looked through the spotting scope and somebody had driven like an old Jeep Cherokee, like halfway up the mountain, not on any road. And these two guys get out and they start chasing these mule deer that had spooked before they even got out of the vehicle. Cause they drove way too close to them. And so again, cool spot, but just, you know, we, we didn't feel like we were in the game. And so the next day, Um, we still didn't really have the option to hunt around the lodge because of all the snow. Uh, there were a few, like one of the guys that, uh, with us had a snowmobile. Uh, he had tried to drive around a little bit. He got his snowmobile stuck. That's how much it had snowed. Um, but some other people who had cabins and stuff around there had some bigger snowmobiles and they were driving up and down the road, kind of getting it packed in. Um, and this was Thanksgiving day also, uh, the second day, um, some of the people who had gotten stuck had called a tow truck. The tow truck couldn't make it up the mountain. And so so we just knew that like hunting around the lodge still wasn't really an option. And so the third day, we go on a road mission. So we spent uh, Thanksgiving night. We were both on our phone phones on Onyx. You know, we were finding all these pieces of public, marking them, uh, you know, figuring out the roads, how to get there. And so day three, our goal was to like find a new spot and get on some of this public. And, uh, man, that might've been the most frustrating day of the entire trip, uh, that third day, because, you know, you hear, like, if you listen to like Meteor podcast or Western podcast, uh, you hear about this landlocked public land, like basically public land that's surrounded by private and the people who own the private will get together and put a gate across the road to block the public. And that's what we ran into time after time after time. I think we tried... I want to say we ran into eight or nine different locked gates that were blocking. I mean, there was one chunk that was like 3,000 acres and it was locked, you know, blocked off by a gate. And so, I mean, we just went to spot after spot after spot with no access. Um, And I mean, these are like supposedly county roads that people are blocking off. So I don't know how the heck they get away with that. Um, but it was just super disappointing because a lot, a lot of this looked really good. You know, it was the right elevation, had the right mixture of open and cover, but you just couldn't get to it. Um, one cool thing that day, we did pass a, a chunk of private that you can see from the road. There was a herd of like probably 500 elk. Uh, I mean, like when I first saw this herd, I thought it had to be like sheep or something because like there's just too many. And we pulled over and busted out the binoculars and the spotting scope. And sure enough, it was elk. And there was like, there was a hilltop where they were right on the crest of the hill. 
and it looked like little juniper trees, like little Christmas trees or something up there. Like, but I mean, it's just elk after elk after elk, and so that was pretty cool. Um, but we kept driving around. Finally, at the very end of the day, um, we actually we were, we drove through a little piece of BLM to get to the national forest. And as soon as we got into the national forest, we just see all these wall tents and horse trailers and ATV trailers. And uh, we just knew that that wasn't going to work. Like, there's just too many people that had way better ways to get around than we did. Uh, so we actually went back to that little piece of BLM. It was like, a, I think it was only 400 yards wide, and then it was like maybe a mile long. And so we climb up to a high spot and you know we're glassing and glassing we glass all the public land nothing we found two or three other hunters that were also hunting it Uh, but from this piece of blm we could see one of the other landlocked pieces of blm and so jasper was glassing it with his spotting scope and sure enough uh turns up a pretty nice looking bull um and again it was just it was just like gut-wrenching because even though it was public, we, we couldn't get to it because we would have had to cross private. We would have been trespassing, and that's illegal. And so that was very, very frustrating. Um, and again, you know, it's not like we just went, did that one time. We did that multiple times. Like I said, probably about eight different times we'd hit a locked gate. And so go back to the lodge that night. And, and again, like we, we are wanting to hunt around the lodge. Like we... It, you know, this whole deal, it was not the guy at the lodge's fault. We just had this freak, random, you know, earlier than normal, huge snowstorm. And so, uh, you know, he's telling us, he's like, guys, like, the elk are here. And we're like, like, we get that. We just don't have a way to get there. Um, and he actually, that, that I think it was that same day, the third day, um, he was helping some of the other guys get their truck unstuck. And uh, two of them saw a 5 by 5 bull run across the road when they were headed up there. Um, the guy with the snowmobile, he made it to the Killen Fields, that spot where we had been the first day. Uh, he saw a, I think a five by six is what he said. Um, he wasn't able to get a shot at it, but he saw a bull. And so like, we know there's elk up there. We just can't get to him. And so it's day four. Um, you know, we've spent two days driving around, uh, down low, trying to get, you know, on some of this public. We can't get to it. So day four, we're like, all right, screw it. Like, we're going to just walk from the lodge. Like, we know this sounds stupid. We know it sounds uh, worthless. But, like, we just feel like that's kind of the only option we have at this point. And so day four, um, we'd go walking down the road. Again, there had been a little bit of snowmobile traffic. So it's not terrible. It it was kind of like walking on the beach, like walking in sand. Like, you're walking on snow. It was kind of packed, kind of not. It was very much like walking on sand. And so we walked down the road about a mile and a half, and we're gaining elevation most of the way. You know, we're huffing and puffing. We get up to like 9,500 feet, uh, you know, just shy of 10,000. And then, uh, you know, on Onyx, we can see this uh, little high mountain meadow, and that's kind of where we're trying to get to because, you know, the road is just trees on each side. Um, So, you know, like unless an elk was literally standing on the road, you weren't going to be able to see it. And so, so we go bushwhacking off the road, and we're talking like, knee to thigh deep snow the whole time and you know we only we probably only had to go like 600 yards something like that which doesn't sound like that far but when you're you know talking knee to thigh deep snow that is not easy and so we bushwhack it to this little meadow and you know like on the the whole time there we're staying positive we're like you know this yes this is the ticket you know everything we hear is these meadows are you know awesome and the elk use them during the winter time and 
we finally make it to this meadow and it's probably two acres you know it's not huge or anything and uh we we you know it's super deep snow we we pick up a log and we kind of put it on this little hill to to have a seat and we're tucked into these little aspens you know kind of make not necessarily a blind but it's it's somewhat thick around it and we sit down we're catching our breath and stuff and uh and jasper just kind of starts laughing and i was like what's so funny he's like He's like, I'm just looking out there, and I'm trying to think, why on earth would an elk be out there? <laughs> and, you know, we kind of started, like, surveying our surroundings, and, you know, there's zero tracks. Um, we did see one or two other sets of human tracks. Some of the, actually, the other guys from the lodge who had gotten their truck stuck, you know, they basically were stuck doing the same thing we were, and so they had, they had walked through there once or twice. Um, so, once again, just just super disheartening. Uh, we ended up staying there for several hours, you know, most of the day. Uh, we had brought a lunch and everything. Uh, we we ended up moving spots. We found a, a spot kind of hidden in some uh, some conifer trees that, you know, blocked the wind a little bit. And uh, probably, I mean, we didn't quite hunt till dark. It was probably 4 o'clock. Uh, up there, it was getting, I think, legal light ended at like 5.15 or 5.30 or something like that. And uh, it was about 4, 4.30. This would have been Saturday. And uh, it started snowing. And basically, we were just like, screw it. And so we uh, we packed up just a little bit early and walked back to the lodge, made it back to the lodge about dark. And uh, <coughs> sorry, I'm not used to talking this much anymore. I keep coughing. Um, we make it back to the lodge and we, you know, pull out our, our phones again, looking at Onyx. And we just we just don't really see any other options. Um, so Sunday was the last day of the season. Jasper had to be work back to work on Monday, and so we had already planned to only hunt the morning of Sunday because he needed to get back. Um, and so we're like, man, like I guess our only o- other option is to you know walk around in the morning. And so we go to bed that night. We wake up the next morning and uh, we look out the window, and it's still snowing. Uh, it was supposed to be just like a quick little you know dusting the night before. It ended up snowing all night long. We had an additional like two to three inches. And that basically just took the wind out of our sails, and we said, screw it. Uh, we went back to bed. It was our last day of the hunt. Um, we went back to bed, slept till about 9, and then woke up, packed our bags, and left. Um, we didn't hunt the last day. Ah, man, I, I just, I can't, I can't put into words the emotions that I was feeling. Just between the truck, uh, you know, all my gear, um, the weather, the snow, the public land being blocked, just all those things combined had just completely done us in. And, uh, I'm not the type to normally give up. Uh, Jasper usually is not at all. He's normally the one pushing me. Um, but both of us were just so disheartened that we, we just gave up, uh, the last morning. And so, that was the hunt. Um, again, I, I don't blame the guy at the lodge. Like, I don't think we got hoodwinked or anything like that. I think just Mother Nature just had it in for us. Um, Mother Nature and private landowners that blocked off land that they shouldn't. So, so that was the hunt. Um, you know, not that exciting. Um, we saw we saw that one herd of like 500. We saw that bull that we were glassing from the other piece of, of BLM, and then from that same point, we also saw another herd of about 40. Um, but that one bull, that was the only bull we saw on public, and it was a piece of landlocked public. So, very dishear- disheartening. Um, again, 
I think if the weather would have cooperated better, I think it would have been a completely different hunt. Um, even without the ATV and stuff, uh, just if we could have gotten the truck around a little better to get up to get out to some of those other, you know, harder to reach spots. Um, but like the, the killing, I mean, we could, cause we thought about it. We mapped out how far it was to the killing fields. And I think one way just to get to like the start of it, not really even get into it, I think was five and a half miles uphill in the snow. And I mean, yes, technically you could have done it, but you're talking about a 11, you know, and if you walk around, once you get there, you know, you're talking about an 11 to 15 mile day in the snow and that's it's just not really practical um uh, i i think i mentioned it i had actually bought snowshoes for this trip in case we had to do something like that but guess what the snowshoes were in the truck and so i didn't have them um so yeah so that's that's the hunt portion um i mentioned there was a, a little glint of good news here and I, again i just found this out today uh today's december 1st i'm doing this on thursday uh, I got a call right after lunch today from the Denver Police Department, and it was an officer, and they found the truck. Um, and so that is the good news. He said from what he can tell, it's still, the truck is perfectly fine, drivable, all that. He said there's no damage to it or anything. Um, I got so excited that I didn't really ask him about any of the stuff inside, and he quickly told me, like, where I could find it, um, and so I hung up and called my dad and got excited. My dad was also excited, but much more calm, and he, you know, started asking me a couple more questions, and I was like, I don't know that, and so called the police department back, and they, they put me back in touch with the officer that I'd talked to, and, you know, he told me about where to get the truck, um, and then he mentioned, uh, he, he kept calling them scopes. I'm pretty sure he was talking about my binoculars and spotting scope, which is awesome. Uh, that means those two things are safe. But basically, they can't like those are valuable enough to where they can't leave that in the truck when they impound it. Um, and so he told me how to get those back. And I, I now I kind of had my wits about me, so I started asking a few more detailed questions. I was like, "Hey, if you don't mind," I'd asked him if he was still at the vehicle. I was like, "Do you see a black duffel bag?" And he looked in there. He's like, "Man, I don't see that." So that, that black duffel bag had all my clothes, so I know that's gone. Uh, I asked him if he saw a Yeti cooler. He said no, so I know my Yeti's gone. Uh, I asked him if he saw a like grayish pack. He said no, so my hunting pack is gone. Um, that part confused me for a while because I could have sworn that my spotting scope and binoculars were in that pack. But after I've sat in here and thought about it, I remembered I, I purposely left those out of the pack because I thought I was going to be there early enough to scout. So I left those out, and so just the fact, like, you know, again, I'm pretty, he kept calling them scopes, but I'm pretty sure he was talking about the binoculars and spotting scope. You know, just those two things, that's like over $1,000 right there. So I don't, all that to say, I don't know what is left. Uh, he mentioned like a, a brown pack backpack. Um, I had my pack frame in there that was like coyote brown, so I guess the pack frame is still there. Uh, it sounds like my main hunting pack and my day pack are gone um, my clothes are gone. Yeti's gone. Um, but it sounds like there's still some stuff in there. Um, so I, I won't know until I actually get my hands on it, you know, what happened and what's still there, what's gone. It sounds like a lot of it is gone. Um, but there is a chance some of it's still there. So, uh, so basically what happens now, uh, the truck is being towed to an impoundment. And, um, so the truck will be there. Um, he kind of went through everything a little bit to look for valuables. Again, he found the two in quote scopes. 
Um, he is taking those to the police station, like the evidence room. And so that <clears throat> makes things a little complicated. Um, the, the, the tow truck, again, I'm, I just found this out on Thursday. The tow truck place is open Friday and for like half a day on Saturday. So I technically like could fly up there tomorrow if I wanted to and get the truck. But the evidence place, uh, again, you know, he hadn't even taken them there. And you have to have an appointment uh, to do that. And you have to make the appointment 24 hours in advance. So basically, if he turns it in today on Thursday, I can call and make an appointment tomorrow on Friday for Monday. They're not open on the weekends. And so, talk to my dad and everything, and I think the plan is for me to fly up there Sunday and then hopefully get the truck and uh, my stuff from the police station on Monday. So, that's the hope. Uh, keep me in your prayers. This will come out on Monday, so this will come out the day I'm trying to do all this. Um, the other thing we're not sure about, so I still have the key fob. A lot of people ask me if I left the keys in the truck. No, I did not. I still had the key fob. Um they were obviously professionals. Like they had a way to unlock that truck and drive it away without the key fob. And again, this is a new, it's like a 2018 F-150. So it doesn't even have like a physical key. It just uses the electric electronic key fob. Um, and, uh, talking with some people, we think what they, basically they had a computer that could trick that truck into making a new key fob. And that's how they were able to get into it and drive it. And so I'm going to show up with our original key fob. I don't even know if that key is still going to work or not because if they change it, it's not. So if I get there and the key doesn't work, I'm going to have to call a locksmith to come and make me a new key and get me in and everything. And then once I get the truck, I'm going to have to go to the police station, uh, to the evidence room, and you know check out and hopefully get my binoculars and spotting scope back. Um, so yeah, so... That's kind of where we're at. Um, so again, some good news. You know, it sounds like my dad's going to get his truck back. That's awesome. You know, that's obviously something that is is pretty crazy. But uh, from the beginning, you know, I, I've I, I felt I have felt guilty in times not being as worried about the truck as like my stuff because it wasn't my truck. But even my dad said like, you know, the truck is not as big a deal. The truck is covered. Like you know, insurance is going to cover that. Um, from what we have learned so far none of the stuff inside, none of my gear is going to be covered under insurance. So, um, so I've listed a bunch of stuff already and I feel bad, you know, talking about it, but just, you know, I'm, I'm definitely out a four wheeler. I'm definitely out my rifle and I had taken my nice Christensen rifle that I talk about on here all the time, uh, vortex scope. So definitely out that stuff. Sounds like I'm definitely out all of my camo, all my Sitka and first light camo, um, out my packs. Um, and again, I listed all the small, you know, even range finder and knives and, and camping stuff, all that stuff. So, um, at, at this point, like whatever is left in the truck is kind of a bonus. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it now, kind of the way I have to look at it. So, um, one very, very small, somewhat fortunate thing is this happened around black Friday. And so, um, you know, my wife was awesome and she, you know, was ordering me stuff that was on sale. So I've already rebought a lot of my clothing. Um, you know, my buddy had bought me the pack and, uh, the boots, um, the, the boots that he bought me were incredibly warm, which were great for this trip. Uh, but I don't know how practical these boots are going to be in Oklahoma. They're like Arctic boots. Um, so probably still going to have to replace those, but again, um, yeah. Oh, I, I was going to throw this out there too. You know, this, this is another thing that almost brought me to tears. It was that it was after that fourth night. 
Um, you know, the, the trip had been going terribly. The hunt had been going terribly. I was laying in my bed feeling super sorry for myself. And my wife texts me, and uh, I, I won't go into super specifics, but uh, somebody she knows, their dad had been in the hospital for, I think, nine days, and he was having all kinds of heart failure. Um, they were trying, you know, they were trying stents, they were trying uh, bypasses, all kinds of stuff, and, and basically his heart was just giving out. And and I was just thinking about this guy who, you know, has a family, he's still conscious and everything, and he's literally on on his deathbed potentially. Um, you know, they're giving him a very low chance of success of survival. Um, you know, he's, he's having to live with that. He's having to say goodbye. He's not sure if he's going to live. And, uh, sorry, told you I was going to get emotional again. I realized how lucky I was. Um, all I lost was stuff. Um, my, I still have my loving wife. I still have my baby girl. I still have my friends and my family. Um, I have so many people that were reaching out to me, listeners, I had tons of listeners, you guys, thank you to you guys, tons of y'all reaching out, encouraging me, Um, guys, I'm super lucky, Um, even though I just lost all this stuff, I am so lucky and so appreciative um, that I'm still here, so, um, man, it, it, uh, I'm not going to say it even tested my faith, if anything, it just reinforced my faith in the Lord, so, um, so yeah, I, again, I, uh, in, uh, in the book of James, it talks about how, uh, trials, uh, build perseverance. Um, and that's kind of what this trip was about. Um, I'm a better, better person for it. I learned a lot from it. Don't spend the night in Denver. <laughs> my, uh, my Uber driver actually told me that Denver is averaging 86 car thefts a day. Um, so yeah, don't stay in Denver. Um, and, and remember what is really, truly important in life. So, so that's how I'm going to close this podcast. Um, I know that might not seem like a positive note, but I truly mean it as one. So, so yeah, that is the, that is the story. That's the trucks, the stolen truck story, the elk trip story. I wish it was a better story, but that's how it went down. So that's how I told it. So, um, again, like I talked about on last week's podcast, we still have a lot of season left. We have like a month and a half of season left. So I still got some deer tags, still got some duck hunting to do, and I plan on still getting out there and living life to the fullest. So thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. Um, if you're one of the people who reached out to me, thank you. It really did mean a lot. Um, and I'm really appreciative, appreciative of all you guys out there. So I say it every week. Thank you guys. I love you guys. I appreciate it. And until next week, I will see y'all right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast.